First John chapter 3. If you need a Bible, again, just raise your hand and we can bring you one. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. I'm going to read through 24. Are you there? All right, here we go. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Father, we thank you for this text. We ask that as we dive into it, that you would extract its meaning for us and apply it to our lives through the work of your Holy Spirit. Pray that we would experience your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning through your word. It's in his name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. You might remember in the 1940 film Pinocchio, one of the characters was named Jiminy Cricket. This, this uh, little wise green cricket that is perfectly capable of leading Pinocchio down the path of wisdom. And in some ways, I think that's a, a pretty good representation of a conscience, which is what Jiminy Cricket represents. A conscience is something that God has given to us. And I think it's a good representation, even in the fact that God has wired us to have a conscience that is perfectly capable of leading us down a path of wisdom. Now, here's the problem with your conscience. The problem is this. We live in a sin-filled uh, world. We are sinners, which means then that if our conscience is indeed a gift from God to alert us of sin, and we are sinners, that means our conscience is filled with guilt. Now, sometimes we talk about somebody who doesn't have any conscience at all. We say, oh, that person has no conscience. I don't know if that's true. I think uh, what it is is that some people have learned to mute their conscience. I think some people have learned to shut off their conscience. Some people have learned to cover up their conscience with other things. I'm going to submit that we all have a guilty conscience from birth. Now, not only that, but let's go further. Because we are in a sin, uh, uh, sinful world, because the world is fallen and things don't go the way they were intended to go, our conscience doesn't go the way it's intended to go either. Meaning our little Jiminy Cricket can kind of be a little haywire sometimes. Here's what I mean. So for those of you who are Christians, do you or do you not have remain in guilt of your sin? This is a gospel pop quiz right here. Do you remain in your guilt if you are a Christian? No, I got more no's than yeses and the no's win. You are correct. Guilt is removed. But Jiminy Cricket doesn't know that. 
See, the problem is, is because we're in a sinful world, we have a sinful conscience, a broken conscience, and sometimes our Jiminy Cricket, Cricket can not only be telling you something's wrong, but Jiminy Cricket can kind of be a little condemning. He loves to actually get angry with you and condemn you before God. Do you have a condemning conscience? I want to talk to you this morning under the title, When Our Hearts Condemn Us. When Our Hearts Condemn Us. I get that phrase from verse 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. That word heart there is clearly synonymous with the word conscience, referring to those who have a condemning conscience. The word reassure there is, in the original language, a word that would, that would communicate uh, pacifying someone or something, or satisfying someone or something. So what he's saying is, is that we need to satisfy our guilty, condemning hearts, our guilty, condemning conscience. We need to reassure, we need to pacify this little Jiminy Cricket that doesn't stop condemning us before God. What this clearly means is that it's not uncommon for Christians to experience an unruly attack of their conscience. It's not uncommon for Christians to lack assurance of God's love. It's not uncommon for Christians to question whether or not they actually belong to God. I think of Revelation chapter 12 verse 10, which says that the devil accuses the brothers and sisters daily before God. The question is this, how do we know that we are in him? Last week, we ended with verse 18, and if you look at verse 18, there's this little word, truth. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, truth is the theme on which John hinges his next encouragement. He asks then this question, how do we know, in verse 19, we are of the truth? Or as the NIV puts it, how do we know that we are, uh, uh, belong to him? Now, in verse 19, he starts off with these two words, by this. By this we know. By what, John, you might ask? I'm looking at it. What do you, what, by By what? It's sometimes hard to know what John's getting at. Is he talking about the thought that came before, the thought that's coming after? Because it seems like the thought that comes after is actually a reason, not an answer. So by what do we know that we are of the truth? Well, I think the answer is actually in verse 23 and 24. So let's go ahead and skip down now to verse 23. And he says this, by this, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. So I think what he's saying is, is that this commandment, uh, keeping this commandment, is how we know that we are in the truth or belong to him. Well, well look at verse 23. You might notice here, uh, commandment is singular, not plural. Do you see that? Yet how many commandments come after this commandment? 
in verse 23. Two. He says, this is the commandment, that we believe and love. He's actually grouping two commandments into one, which means your belief in God and your love for others cannot be separated. They're two sides of the same coin. And so he groups them into one commandment. Believing and loving. Let's break those two down a little bit here. First, that we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we believe. This isn't just an intellectual kind of belief, such as 2 plus 2 equals 5, correct? 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's not just an intellectual belief, but rather it's the kind of belief uh, that, that you have in the chair that you're sitting in, which means you know what a good, uh, well-structured uh, struct- chair looks like. You, you then believe that this chair is going to hold you up. And then it's a belief which takes action as you sit down in the chair. Does that make sense? Your belief in your chair. Believe, he says, in the name. The name. Some people get this confused. I think we put string five letters together and that, that, that has magical power, J-E-S-U-S. And if we just say that, say that those syllables, Jesus, that the devil's going to flee and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we got to remember that it wasn't even, we weren't, we weren't dealing with English initially. Right? So what is it, what's he talking about with the name? It's not just simply syllables strung together or letters. But it's what the name of Jesus communicates, symbolizes. Let me give you an example. If we were to take a celebrity, Javante Davis, for instance, boxer, just one last night from Baltimore. He's the man in Baltimore, all right? If we were to say Javante Davis' name is great, what we're saying is is it's his fame. He's well known, uh, who who, who he is, his, his, his fists, how quick he is, right? If we were to say another celebrity's name has been drugged through the mud, what are we saying? We're saying their reputation has been soured, maybe because of a certain scandal. So we understand that name is a reference for the reputation of an individual. Name is a representation for all that the individual is. You see what I'm saying? So when we hear John say, believe in the name of Jesus Christ, what he's saying is, is believe... In the reputation of Jesus Christ. Believe in his fame. Believe in all that his story is. The story that Jesus Christ is the God-man. Eternally existing with the Father. Became flesh. Took on flesh. Made himself of no reputation. Taking on the form of a servant. Became obedient to God. His righteousness imputed to you. And then took on the cross. Your sinfulness then imputed to him. And we then are washed of our sin because of his atoning work on the cross. We are forgiven of our sin. We are then clothed in his beautiful righteousness. Believe the reputation of Jesus Christ. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in the name of Jesus Christ? 
And then he goes on and he says, and, this is, remember, this is all the same commandment, and love one another. Love each other. Self-sacrificial love, which we talked about last week. It's a mark of being a Christian. Why? It's because true love is self-sacrifice. And that's not natural. Natural man doesn't do that. Not truly, not fully. You have to be, have the Spirit. Be born of the Spirit. Be overwhelmed and enamored by the definition of love found in the name of Jesus Christ in order to truly love in the way that Christ loved us, a self-sacrificial kind of love. Believe and love. And then he goes on to say, whoever then keeps these commandments abides in God. Meaning, if you keep these things, this is a sign that you are in him. He's not teaching workspace righteousness. We've covered that a hundred times already. He's reiterating the things that he's been saying. This is a sign for you. This is a sign that you belong to him. And by this we know he, he closes. He know, we, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given us. This isn't talking about some kind of metaphorical sort of feeling that I get of having the Spirit in me. Like I wouldn't even know what that feels like. What he's saying is, is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, produces the fruit of the Spirit, right, in uh, agreement with all the rest of the teaching of the New Testament. The Spirit does work in you, sanctifying kind of work in you. And so by doing these things, we are then experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, testifying to the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in our life. You see John's train of thought there? Now, all of that being said, none of that is really new to 1 John. This is stuff that John has kind of been repeating and reiterating in different ways. What is new in this text, however, are verses 19 and 20. I, I almost feel like John, having said all that he said about knowing that you are in him through love and obedience and faith, I believe that he... Uh, being the pastor that he is, just knows that there's got to be somebody in the room with a tender conscience. Somebody in the room who is giving, you know, taking this self-assessment, testing themselves to be sure that they're in him, and they feel like they're coming up short constantly, and they are questioning whether or not they are actually in him. Why? It's, it's because they have a condemning conscience for these Christians. And so I feel like John is taking a pastoral turn here. For those of you who have a tender conscience, and as a result of our study in 1 John, you've gotten to the point of just simply questioning whether or not you're even a Christian. This word is for you. How do you battle a condemning conscience? And then what are the blessings of a clean conscience? That's what John shows us here. So let's look at it. First, how do we battle a condemning conscience. One pastor explained your conscience uh, as, as uh, that of warning lights in a car. So, for, for example, your car, if you have one, you know that you have little warning lights that come on that tell you that you need fuel or that you need an oil change or that you're, something's wrong with your engine. 
And those, those warning lights are put in there to alert you that there's something wrong with the car, right? Now, as you know, because we live in a fallen world, your warning lights don't always work properly. And sometimes you're driving down the highway and that check engine light comes on and you start sweating bullets. It's just the sensor. It's just a bad light. But you don't know that. But your warning lights have gone haywire on you. I th- and then this is the way our conscience is, right? So our God has given us a conscience as warning lights so that when we begin to veer off into sin, when there is actually something wrong with us spiritually, they come on to alert us to turn back to Jesus Christ. But because of the fallen world, you're driving down the highway at 60 miles an hour and everything's completely fine and your check engine light comes on sometimes. And you freak out. Oh, I must not be a Christian. I can't go to God. I can't talk to God. I can't pray. Your conscience has gone haywire on you. So we see in verse 19, if you look at the text, that we are to have a conversation with this condemning heart. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure. That's an active verb. We're doing something. We are, we are like our heads are, I don't know how to break this down for you, but we are reassuring our hearts of something. We are turning to our heart and having a conversation with this condemning conscience For whenever our hearts condemn us, verse 20, God is greater than our heart. You might think of it this way. Your conscience tries to act as the prosecutor, the witness, the evidence, the jury, and the judge in condemning you before God. But John Stott uses this courtroom analogy, and he explains it this way. He says, what we see in the text is that you are on trial. Your condemning conscience is the prosecutor, but God is the judge. So, yeah, your condemning conscience comes at you. Don't forget what you did when you were 20. Don't forget how you talked to your sister when you were growing up. Don't forget what you did last week. Don't forget that reoccurring thought. You you can never stand before God. You can never be right with God. God could never forgive you. Don't forget these things. Your conscience is coming at you as this prosecutor trying to condemn you before God, but God is greater than your conscience. God is the one sitting in the judge seat, not your conscience. And so as we hear Jiminy Cricket coming at us, we look to God. What do you say? Now check this out. What does he say? He goes on to say, and he, meaning God, knows everything. What's he saying there? Well, he's saying he knows more than your your condemning heart does. God knows more about you than you know of yourself. God knows more about your motives, even sinful motives, right? Your intentions, your desires, your dark desires, your dreams, your dark dreams. God knows 
everything there is to know about you. Now, if this God does forgive you, what does your conscience have to say? God is greater than your conscience. Who are you going to appeal to? Now, not only does God know everything about you, but he knows everything about you, which means he also knows the gospel. And he knows that the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to you. He knows that his only son was sent to be the savior of the world, that when he died on the cross, he died for you. He took the penalty for God's wrath on himself, and his blood was shed to cleanse you, to cover your sins. That precious blood of Christ then was applied to your account, and it is all paid. It's paid. You're not excited about that. All right. I, uh, last year, I was driving a, uh, a rental car, and a little stone came up and hit the windshield of the rental car, and it split the windshield, and, uh, and, and I take it back to the rental place, and they send me a bill, and the bill's something like $600, and I'm like, what? And so then I discover that I actually, with the card that I used to, to pay the, the, for the rental car, I actually have insurance on my card, so I went to the insurance, and and it was this long process of making sure they have it. Because I don't want to spend $600 for a rental windshield for some stupid stone that came out of the truck in front of me. And then I got a, uh, a letter in the mail, finally, like five months later, from the insurance company. And it, it had the bill, and it said $550 for window sh uh, windshield replacement. And then on top of it, it says paid in full. Yeah, that's how I felt. <laughs> All right? Your conscience comes at you with that bill that you owe God, and that is your life because you are a sinner, and a sin the, 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 the wages for sin is death. And that means eternal death, not, by the way. It means, it, it means hell forever and ever, under the wrath of God forever and ever. And you get that, and it says on top, stamped in the blood of Jesus, paid in full does that not excite you? Listen, it says God knows everything. He knows that you are his. And God then will judge you appropriately. So we appeal to God. Another example that I can use here that a professor of mine used once he said he said that we uh, it's it's almost as if our, our condemning hearts are like a pit, and we get all introspective and we're we're looking at how we feel about things. We're looking about what we think of our salvation, and I don't always feel saved. I don't always think well about how, uh, whether or not I'm saved. I don't always feel forgiven. And we're going deeper and deeper into the pit of our condemning heart. But God is outside of the pit. Man, a lot of fools will tell you, just look inside. What does your heart say? I don't know if, I don't know if God loves me. Well, do you feel him in your heart? No. 
and then they don't know what to say. I mean, I accepted him into my heart. Maybe you didn't do that, because I feel him here. We've got to stop looking at our feelings. John is actually calling us away from our feelings to, to look outside of the pit. That's how we get out, to see God. Because our feelings are subjective. God is objective. We go to the objective revelation of God, which we find in his word and which we find in his work in our life. Let me show you where I, where I, where I, I get this. You see, before I take you back to the text, so, some people have this guilty conscience and they try to mute it through good deeds. They try to mute it through the power of positive thinking. I am brilliant. I am good. I am successful. I am wonderful. No, you are scum. You know it. Stop trying to mute your guilty conscience. Other people, they've got a guilty conscience, and they, they mute it through alcohol. They mute it through substances. They mute it through entertainment. But Christians go outside of ourselves to the objective revelation of God. And we see his revealed word for our lives and his revealed work in our lives. So let's go to the text here. So, so you see here, he knows everything in verse 22 which means he knows the gospel. We go to the word, and through the lens of the word, we are reassured of the gospel. We know that his blood is shed, that we are washed, that we are changed, that we are clean. We know through his objective word that there is an exhaustible well of grace that is deeper than the well of my sin. And then with that objective knowledge, we have a conversation with our heart. We say, yeah, well, his word says. And secondly, we go to the revealed work of God in our lives, which I'm getting from verse 23, that we believe and that we love one another. We keep his commandments. Meaning, we are surprised to see that we actually do keep his commandments. We actually, first off, we, we actually do repent when we sin. We turn from our sin. It might be daily. But wow, I didn't used to repent like this. We're actually surprised to see that we actually love people in a way that we didn't. I didn't used to care about, about people like this. We're surprised to see that we actually have a longing to be in worship with his people. Why are you here Sunday after Sunday? Praise God for the work in your life that he gave you the, the, the thought to get up and, and come to church, to be under his word. We don't, we don't desire to sleep around like we used to, and that's surprising. We don't desire to party like we used to. Wow. 
We don't desire, we've lost the taste for the substances that we used to use to mute our conscience. And we found that the gospel is a better way to deal with our conscience. Wow, look at this change. Now, it might not be in the last day or two, but if you look at the last five years of your life, look at the change that the Spirit has brought about in your life. That's objective, isn't it? We go to His objective word and work in our lives. And that, my family, my friends, is how we deal with our conscience. And in verse 24, your, 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 your good deeds serve as a sign of the Spirit that is at work within you. You see how these two realities of belief in the gospel and love for each other, you see how they work together? You see how they're two sides of the same coin? That's the coin that we use when we're going up against the condemning heart. Now briefly, let me just show you now the benefit then of a clean conscience. And I'll explain this using human relationships. If you have wronged somebody and you believe that they're angry with you, you can no longer enjoy your time with them, can you? You can't just sit with them and delight in them. Uh, You you can't have fun with them. And you certainly can't ask them for anything. What is the benefit of having a clean conscience before God? Well, it's prayer. Namely, It's a vibrant, active prayer life. When we have a clean conscience before God, we go to God with boldness and confidence that we can enjoy God and that He will hear us. Look at verse 23 or 21. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we, uh, we receive from Him. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, don't get this twisted. This is not saying if you ask him for a million dollars, he'll give you a million dollars as long as you obey him. John Stott actually gives us a list of uh, 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 kind of a biblical summary, a New Testament summary of of how we pray in, in ways that God honors and answers. He says that we must pray according to God's will. We must pray in the name of Jesus. We must pray for God's glory. Our prayer requests must be one given as a forgiven person and as a forgiving person. We pray believing the promises of God. We pray as we're walking in obedience with God. Yet at the same time, there are three things that are uber clear in these verses. Number one, obedience and answered prayer are closely linked. Which means uh, if my kids are acting up, I'm not taking them out for ice cream. No matter how much they ask. We may have already been on the way. Turning around. Now, don't get me... I, I will meet all of their physical needs... I will love them in the ways that they need to be loved. And in this moment, that means to not take them out for ice cream. Now, that never really happens with my kids. They're wonderful little children that always obey. And 
get ice cream all the time. <laughs> um, but our obedience before God is closely linked with God granting our prayer requests. I think we see that in the text. Secondly, we can actually please God. We can actually live in such a way that pleases Him. We can live in such a way in which God delights in our obedience. Thirdly, a clean conscience is how we get there. So all of that kind of uh, uh, prayer life, that communion with God, that intercession with God is based on us having a clean conscience before God. And so as we go objectively to the Word and to the work of God in our life, we then come before Him with a clean conscience. We come to Him, and we, what we experience is an active prayer life, communion with God. Let me close with a story. Um, Last year, Haddon was, uh, <laughs> he looks at his mother, what's he going to say? Last year, Haddon uh, was, was getting, getting ready for school, and um, he came downstairs with his, his yellow Utah Marshburn shirt on and his blue pants, navy blue pants. Comes down and his pants are just really dirty. Like, they're, they're, they've got a hole in the knee. There's grass stains all over him. Like, there's some spaghetti that was, must have been spilled in his lap. Like, it was a mess. So I see Haddon come down the stairs, and he's all ready for school, you know. I'm like, Haddon, you can't go to school with those clothes on. You've got to change your pants. He looks at him. Oh, okay. <laughs> Goes all the way back up the stairs. About five minutes later, what's taking him so long? Comes back down finally. He's wearing the same pants. He says, I'm ready. What were you doing up there? I changed. Look, he's wearing the same clothes. So then he explains it to me. What he did was he took his pants off and put them in the drawer, looked around for some pants, found some, pulled them out. (laughs) Put the same pants back on. Listen, isn't that what we do? Our conscience makes it clear to us that we are standing in filthy rags. And so we go to work. And we try to change ourselves. And we go to positive thinking. And we, 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 we try to do a bunch of good deeds. And we try to do nice things for people. And we try to help out and volunteer in the community. Or maybe we just get sour and we turn from it. And we turn to alcohol and we turn to substances. But whatever we do, what we're doing is we just keep pulling something else out of the drawer. And we keep putting on the same dang, old, dirty, filthy laundry. And we're never presentable. What we need is for our Father to change us. What we need is for our Father to come along and to strip us of the dirty garments and to clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And then in that sense, now we are qualified. We are ready. We are in Him. We are accepted. We are of the truth. You see, on my own, I'm foul. In my own intentions, I'm, 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 I'm off. My own deeds are as filthy rags. My tears are often stained with sin. My conscience condemns me. But in Christ, I am forgiven. In Christ, I am clothed in His righteousness. In Christ, I am pure. In Christ, I am clean. In Christ, I am washed. In Christ, I stand in righteousness. In Christ, I am being sanctified. In Christ, I am in God. A friend of mine this last week, he called himself a rat. He says, I'm a rat. But God, in our, we, we are sinners, broken, wearing filthy rags. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, when we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, he made us alive. He woke us up. He raised us from the dead and gave us new life. When our guilty heart condemns us, what do we do? We take our guilty heart to the the Word. We show our guilty heart, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we show our guilty heart the fruit of the Spirit. We talk about the ways that God has changed us. The, 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 the experience of the, the, the Spirit sanctifying us. Moving in us. Working in us. Our behaviors, which actually look different than they used to. Friends, we are not saved by our feelings. It's not what we think about our salvation that saves us. It's Christ. We're saved by Christ. So we get out of the pit and we look to Christ and we see Him. And we see Him, we grasp Him, we hang on to Him, and in Him we know that we are saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could go into your word. We ask, God, that you would help us to reassure our condemning conscience, that you would help us to reassure our hearts of your love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God, I pray if there is anyone in here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that right now that their eyes would be open to the gospel, that they would turn from their sin, that they would receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.